0: I'm sure this gospel lesson this morning is familiar to many of us. (laughs) You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The words of Jesus here have been put to songs, posted on billboards, and used as the rallying cry for all kinds of mission work, both good and bad. These words, while familiar, hold so much meaning. In Matthew's Gospel, they immediately follow the Beatitudes in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just begun his first teaching by proclaiming, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. I've heard this passage described as Jesus' I have a dream speech. He's a visionary, not only dreaming, but announcing a new vision for the world in which the kingdom of heaven truly touches earth. It's not merely a hope, but it's a tangible reality which has already begun. Jesus proclaims, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. I hope you'll indulge me a moment to talk a little bit about the specifics of the language used here. It's tempting in our individualistic culture to see that you written there in this passage and think it's the singular you, you wit, you Sam. But the you written in Greek here is the third person plural. I took my Greek class at Swanee so it was easy for us to just translate this as (laughs) y'all. Y'all are the salt of the earth y'all are the light of the world. This means that that blessedness and the vision Jesus describes is not just about you, it's about y'all, it's about us. In other words, this proclaiming of the kingdom of heaven and calling into kingdom life is for the sake of community and togetherness and connection The second important note to make about the language here is that it's not written as imperative, meaning it's not a command that says, go be the salt of the earth, or go be the light of the world. It says, y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. It's a statement of identity, not a command. First, let's talk about salt. So maybe it's just me and the circles I run in, but I think a lot of millennials love to talk about the zombie apocalypse. Not in a serious, you know, doomsday or planning kind of way, but in a fun, like, what would you do kind of way. So I say zombie apocalypse as a kind of catch all term for any kind of end of civilization as we know it scenario. I've been a part of so many lighthearted discussions where, about where you would go to set up camp, and the correct answer is Costco, <laughs> what useful role you might fill in this scenario, and how long you think you could make it, etc. So recently, one of my friends presented a new question. If you could have an endless supply of one thing in the zombie apocalypse, what would it be? And my roommate, who is a chef, gave one of the best answers I think I've heard, which is salt, an endless supply of salt. It's primarily practical because it can cure and preserve meat, but it would also be an excellent bargaining chip in the long run because people need the joy of flavor and taste even at the end of the world. Salt preserves and sustains. And salt also just makes things taste better. It brings out flavors and adds joy to food and to cooking. When Jesus says, y'all are the salt of the earth, he's describing the way people and communities preserve and sustain life and bring out the flavor and the goodness in the world. It's not just practical. It's also about joy, and just a pinch can make all the difference. Now, y'all are the light of the world. In this season of Epiphany, we're celebrating the emergence of the light that breaks through in the darkness. Liturgically, we're walking alongside Jesus as he grows and begins his ministry, spreading the light across the region. And as we begin to take deep breaths of the first whispers of spring, our days steadily grow longer and we slowly emerge from the darkness of winter. Light brings new life, warmth, casts out fear, illuminates the path ahead. Y'all are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. It's important to see these things as statements of identity rather than commands. Our text from Isaiah is a warning against this kind of performative faith. Isaiah is saying don't simply fast so that you can talk about the fact that you're fasting. Fasting had been kind of warped into this ancient Jewish virtue signaling Isaiah commands the people to let their actions speak for themselves. Don't just do a performative fast. For this is the fast that I choose, to loose the bond of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free. Jesus is saying something similar here. Not go be the salt of the earth, but y'all are the salt of the earth. Not, go be the light of the world, but y'all are the light of the world. Jesus' first imperative statement, or command, is in verse 16, when he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. One more interesting language tidbit here is that it's written in the third person imperative meaning that the command here is not directed at the human audience or the y'all that he was talking about previously. This command is directed at the light itself. Jesus commands the light to shine. I hope you see this as a grace in the same way that I do. It means you don't have to generate or create your own light in order to be the light. The sun shines and warms the earth, whether I decide to go soak it up or not. But I can choose to go outside and to soak it up, receiving all the benefits I'm so hungry for in the darkness of winter. So now maybe you're thinking, okay, so does this mean I can just sit back and relax and I don't have to worry about anything? If we are the salt and the light and the light shines with or without me, What is there to do? Jesus does still reference our good works here, so what does that mean? Isaiah's example of fasting describes this tension well. The temptation is to think, work harder, do more. But the vision of Isaiah and of Jesus is more about how we are to participate in God's active work already taking place around us. Theologian Sally McFaig said, if God is absent from the world, it is because we are. Because how can we see the movement or the work of God if we aren't chasing after it ourselves? If we no longer proclaim the glory of the Lord, the rocks will cry out. It's here already. It's happening already, all around us. Just as the sun doesn't need us to shine, God doesn't need us to be at work in the world. God is at work in the world. The grace is that it's always an invitation. We get to participate in the work of the kingdom of heaven. And in our participation, our salt is salty and our light shines bright. In our participation, our lives have meaning, are fuller and richer and more joyful. God gives us the opportunity to be a part of this visionary work of Jesus. As the salt of the earth and the light of the world, We participate by living into and embodying what is already within us. So let your light shine as you live alongside your community in joy and fullness, witnessing and participating in heaven-touching earth. Amen.